The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the ghosts out in the hall, the pain peeling off the walls, good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Fran Shaw, author of Lord Have Mercy, Waking Up in the Spiritual Marketplace. Uh, Fran is a Ph.D. She's a professor at the University of Connecticut, a longtime practitioner in a spiritual discipline and an award-winning university writing instructor. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Fran. Thank you so much, Catherine. Just a pleasure to be here with everyone. Well, great to have you. Okay, uh, you know, I have to, I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, there are the believers and the non-believers and the ones who say spirituality, oh, it's bunk, I don't have time for it, and others who are really practice it every day in their everyday lives. So I think it's kind of split 50-50. Um, but now there are a lot of scientists, neuroscientists, who say that it's really important to meditate, to take time out, to understand spirituality, because it really does impact even on your physical health, either in the present or even over a long-term period. So with that, uh, Lord have mercy, wake up in the spiritual marketplace. How do we do it? I mean, your book has been described as kind of introducing us to a new level of awareness. Yes, it's very interesting because we're seeing on the – Street corners now, you know, yoga uh, places and Zen Koan salons, and the corporations now we're having mindfulness sessions, and there seems to be this new great interest in uh, you know another kind of way of being alive, and the difference in this particular approach that we're taking here is, well, even though there are many pathways that prepare us for a higher level, if that's our interest, we may not yet realize that beyond concepts and techniques and even stereotypes, there is something, a finer energy, I call it a finer attention, that's uh, really an energy coming into us that's animating us, animating even the skeptics, the non-believers. There's something animating us. And the interesting thing that I've discovered after many decades in a practice is that when one recognizes the touch of that energy right now in this moment, exactly as one is, it takes us from self-awareness across the threshold into awakening. That's the message of the book, but it's delivered by a very unrelentingly funny narrator who himself is extraordinarily skeptical about what's going on in the spiritual marketplace. Yes. So that's how you can hook us in, which I think is really important. Uh, I want to just, you know, you, you just mentioned, you know, we're just sort of awakening many of us to this, well, there is something else out there. Do you think this is kind of taking the place of religion as we kind of evolve as a culture? Like we 
we you know we we have stress in our lives every day you know just it, it's constant so we have to have some way to relieve that stress and maybe it used to be a much more structured like the religion and now it's kind of moved into this kind of different wake of waking up in the spiritual marketplace as you say well, you know, we're seeing things, I mean, we've been calling it, making a joke about it, calling it mindfulness. you know, it's like the new fad, and yet there's something very, very interesting if one actually begins to become sensitive enough and receptive enough to this uh, animating quality that's, you know, flowing through our bodies right now as we speak and coming in with the air that we breathe. The interesting thing that I've found is that it's an enormous relief from stress when one can come home to this sort of more balanced uh, Fran here speaking because there's also an awareness moment by moment an active attention for this other quality that's animating us. So it's the it's what really restores peace in myself. I had a little shock before, about a half an hour before I came to be on the show with you, something that was sort of distressing uh, as we all go through the day with that. And uh, I felt that my one uh, opportunity here was to try to connect again with the sensation of the whole of my body and then maybe even with what I've come to discover again and again and recognize again and again, this very subtle something that's enlivening me now. And I really feel that uh, it's... Um, Stress relief is, to use a, a word that I have coined, energetical. It's an energy quality that can fl- you can be aware of that's animating you, that floods your body, and that's a, such a great relief because otherwise I'm very contracted and identified with the one thing that's distressing me. My world, well, Murphy says in Lord of Murphy, uh, you know, I hadn't noticed the sun blazing gold across the horizon because my world has shrunk to the size of a kumquat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of humor that's in the book with Lord Have Murphy. So introducing us to this this quality of spiritual the spiritual marketplace. That's a good example. But okay, maybe you don't want to share exactly what that crisis was that you know that you had earlier. But can you give us an example? I mean, you know, we're describing the process, but put it into something that we can like understand. Okay, whatever your crisis was, it was something that happened right before you were going to go do a show, do an interview, uh, but something that obviously was like really stressing you out, and then you applied this kind of calming meditation. So can you put that in a, a context for us, like a, a real example? Sure. I mean, because uh, this happens to all of us all the time, and, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, con- unfortunately, it, it happens every day probably to most of us. There's always something that, like, kind of we get hooked into, we feel totally stressed out, we can't focus on what we need to focus on, and then, of course, I mean, uh, we get, it affects not just our mind but also our body, you know, fast heart rate, you know, we get very tense, I mean, I don't have to give all the physical ramifications of it, but, so, give us a concrete example. Absolutely. It's very fresh. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's right uh, here. Really, right? I thought, can I go on now? You know. Yes. Uh, the, uh, I was supposed to be, uh, I had written an article about um, uh, a higher intelligence, and I also want to talk about that as one of the qualities of the word Lord, as we use in the word Lord have mercy. I'm not just talking about religion and, you know, God, higher power. Of course, that's in there, but I'm also talking about qualities that one experiences when one is awake, such as with a capital I, higher intelligence, uh, 
finer attention, higher self, love, light, all with capital letters. So the word Lord in the title means all of those things, not just, you know, the God of religion, which it includes as well, but a blow. Yes, I expect it to be published. I had written an article about intelligence, higher intelligence, and intelligence that bypasses thought was the title of it, in a national publication. And I got a copy, an advanced copy, and I looked, you know, I opened it up, and I looked at the table of contents, and the article wasn't there. And then no one had told me that it wasn't going to be there. I had been told it was going to be there. And so it felt like a blow, and I immediately felt that sensation in the pit of my stomach. So the interesting thing about the way that I'm talking about coming awake is not that I meditate to get rid of that. No, that's not it at all. I really want to get on the bus running, as Murphy puts it, which means, okay, I notice the sensation in my stomach, and I notice that, like you said, the heart beating faster. I want to just observe the body as it is. So if I can just sort of have that impression almost as if a camera is on me, I'm being seen now. I don't have to get away from this. I don't have to change it. But there's a slight shift of attention. Instead of going down the rabbit hole into, why did it happen? I'm so disappointed. I feel so bad. <laughs> so going down, all the way down the rabbit hole, it's like, well, wait a minute. Let me just see if I can notice my posture my facial expression, this, this sensation, I'm calling it unpleasant, but let's just say it's a sensation in the pit of my stomach as if someone had sort of punched it. So I just try to accompany myself, just as I am, not changing anything, with this view of being seen. It's like Murphy calls it observing mode. And sometimes, if you're lucky, and Murphy calls this a, a shift from observing mode into receiving mode, one can also be aware not only of the body as it is, the feelings as they are, the thoughts as they are, but this other animating quality. It's a, really a sacred quality that's enlivening all of it. And when one moves into the receiving mode, you know, the, the me like I was <laughs> doesn't matter because this is a much more con compelling uh, aspect of myself here to pay attention to, this amazing light, this amazing... It's really a joyous sensation. It's a very freeing thing. So, Fran, are you talking about? So, what you do is like you've received this. Okay, my paper is not published in the in the journal that I thought it was going to be. I mean, my my first reaction would be, you know, fighting it, like getting on the phone and calling. What happened? Who? You know, and just like, and you can feel it physically, right? And getting angry, or and or finding yeah. somebody to get angry at. Yeah. And you know. <laughs> Right, and I was at the computer thinking, I'll email the editor and just say, what happened? <laughs> exactly. So you don't do that. Is it a process of like, okay, I accept it because it happened. There's nothing you can, you can't change it. So I'm, as I'm listening to you describing what you did with your body, is it kind of like, okay, I accept this. This is sort of acknowledging it. Uh, no, and, it, yeah. It, no, it, acceptance, just like compassion, all these things, they're really not, they're energetical. That's the only way I can describe them to you. For them to be real, it, it's not that I accept what it is. M Murphy would call that uh, manipulationship. You know, I accept what the editor did. You know, that's all kinds of manipulationships going on there. Not manipulating thoughts, not manipulating feelings, not manipulating behavior. That takes me down a side alley that's still below the level of sleep. I'm talking about allowing an observation that's neutral of the body, just as it is now in the moment, sensing top of the head, you know, seat on the chair, 
soles of the feet, you know, becoming aware of the sounds around me, the light around me, just widening the field of awareness. So I'm not just this angry little man. There's so much more that's always here, so near, always available. And this is a way of living in both streams, Lord and Murphy, as it were, <laughs> at the same moment. And for some, the, the byproduct is it's freeing. I don't have to make myself accept myself. I don't have to make myself accept other people or even the situations. That's not really going to change my level or my state. I'm talking about an actual shift to a higher level of consciousness of being alive. We're on the brink of it because we're so interested in self-awareness and have a lot of practice in it. We just don't know what to do with it. Well, I'm just sort of indicating, well, this after many decades is a very freeing way to make that shift. It's a vibrational shift. And using that vibrational shift, like you, I'm assuming you could do that alone. You receive this new, you can go into your office and, and kind of just do what you just described. But what if you're at a meeting, and there are people around, you're at a board meeting, for instance, and something of that nature happens, but you're amongst a lot of people. Can you do the same thing? Is it possible, and how long does it take? You know, somebody confronts you at a meeting, and or, you know, whatever it is, and uh, it makes you really angry. Um, and so what do you do? Yes. Well, the more you, first you have to discover this and actually have a perception of it. And, of course, it helps to be with someone who is sort of uh, vibrating that way because and there are people that are, that are doing that. So, uh, yes, you, the, more, the more you do it, the more you can do it. Uh, in other words, open to something and, and hope that one then can have this, uh, be sensitive enough to do it. Very difficult to do it in, in mm, challenging circumstances. Uh, Murphy calls it uh, trying to swim in sulfuric acid. You know, it's like it's not easy in the moment. But if you go into the meeting uh, having just beforehand saying, well, you know, I'm just going to sense my right hand during this whole meeting. I'm just going to sense my right hand as, as, as an anchor. Or even while we're on talking to each other now, I'm going to sense, I'm going to sense my hand, you know, for, for, for 10 minutes. Uh, that sort of is like a, a, a hand in the door, a foot in the door, whatever. It's, it's a way into, um, you know, opens possibility of not being completely going down the rabbit hole when someone either attacks me or says something that's wrong or I'm hurt or these various reactions happen. It's the reactive mode that just takes us into so much unconscious suffering, uh, and yet that could be our greatest reminder. If I know I'm suffering unconsciously, well, then I guess it's not so unconscious. And then I think, well, what's the way out of this? The way out of this is to see if I can widen my field of awareness. Can I sense, can I still sense my right hand now as I'm speaking and uh, uh, listening? And that's just have a little task for yourself that maybe opens the door to self-awareness um, and you can return to it. It's, all day long, it's kind of a going away and a coming back to this for me. You know, it's not that I'm, a, you know, you're enlightened and then you never worry again. I don't believe that. <laughs> I was waiting to hear that, that we never have to worry again. Oh, no. but I guess, yeah. The, 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 the good news is that all these beauties, all, these re, all this reactive mode, all these things that, are, that we have in us as human beings are actually going to turn out to be and have begun to become, for me, my greatest helper. Because something in me doesn't like the taste of being 
nasty feeling like the one wants to retaliate, being hurt. I don't like the taste of it anymore because there's a much nicer taste available to me. Have you found, Fran, because this is obviously, as I said in the beginning, you're a long-time practitioner and this kind of spiritual discipline. So this you've been doing for a long time and reaching this, what we call it, or what you call in the book, new level of awareness. Do you find that you do work better, that you your work is better, your relationship with your students is better and or family? And, you know, as you've honed, I guess, practice it, because it does take practice. That's one question. And then when did you first sort of become aware that you needed to do this? I guess at a certain point, uh, one gets sick of suffering. You know, that's, I mean, that's what, uh, you know, the whole thing for the Buddha, at least according to the stories, is that I have to find a way out of suffering for all of people, all of humanity. And, of course, his way out was awakening. Uh, when, when someone stopped the Buddha on the road uh, and said, are you God? And he said, I'm awake. And so, I mean, that's, to me, that's so beautiful because that's what I wish for me and for all of the human beings because it's our birthright. We have everything we need in us is just hidden from our ordinary, usual, everyday mind. But it's very near, just a slight shift into being aware of this, and there's really no word for it, but many names for it, this life force that's the subtle energy that's animating us. If I can be aware of that at the same time as everything else, uh, then I have another, I'm living uh, multidimensionally. I'm living on more than one level at the same moment. I don't have to go to the monastery. I don't have to uh, go to a teacher. Attention is an unlimited dimension. It opens, and that's the teacher. So it certainly helps with students. It certainly helps with family. You know, if I have this impression of myself feeling like I'm, I'm barking at my, going to bark at my husband or I'm impatient with him or, or a student puts me on the spot for something and I, or I don't like the way, for example, I was treated by this, you know, magazine half an hour ago. It's, all these things happen, but what they are, they're like neutral bells that can say, wait a minute, this, something else is calling now. I'm not just going to go down that rabbit hole. Wait a minute. Am I here? Is it, can I feel my body's being seen? Can I shift into an observing mode? Then I have, I let myself be exactly as I am because it's only part, what I am, what Fran is, what Murphy is, is only part of the whole picture. When did, and I'm, I guess this is the second question, so then when did, when did you have your, I don't know, do you, don't exactly call it an aha experience, but when did you sort of get, become aware of, of, that you needed to do this. Um, yeah. My best friend stole from me. Wow. <laughs> about, a, about 35 years ago. Someone lots of money? Lot, Are you talking about money? Uh, possessions and things. Or husband. <laughs> and this is like someone that I grew up with since high school whom I just loved and to this day love. And I think Murphy is sort of, um, in a certain way, modeled after this person because he's just so funny as can be. But uh, it was a stressful time. It was decades ago. And I, it was such a blow to see when he, when this person moved out of the, out of my house, uh, where, you know, we've been friends, uh, he took everything with him. <laughs> you know, and I thought, I came home, the house was stripped. I thought, yeah. wait. Well, you're laughing now. I mean, you're, I mean, it's, which is interesting. I'm sure you weren't laughing then. I was, oh, it was just like, not, 
really, literally, the the rug pulled out from under you. (laughs) So, I mean, it was such a blow. It set me on a quest. I read every book on the shelf. How can someone that loves you and you love behave in that way? You know, it just seemed, I couldn't understand. I read so many books. I went crazy. I was just reading, reading, reading. And... Uh, I came upon uh, a certain book that was talking about how, well, you know, people are not responsible for behavior if they're all asleep. People are not responsible in their sleep. It's almost like Christ on the cross saying, uh, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. I mean, I think that's alluding to the same thing. When we're in a lower level of consciousness, not lower, it's really a you know, ordinary level of consciousness, not our full potential, uh, you're really not responsible because you're in reactive mode. Who knows what made this person feel the need to take those things? Must have been feeling pretty low. I didn't think of that at the time in, in himself to do that. But So that's what got me going. And then finally I uh, had some friends who said, well, I, I, I know a teacher and I met that teacher, and I started working with mindfulness practice, and then I was in college reading about mystical poets and states of consciousness, and then I met another teacher who actually led me to a teacher who was actually awake. And once you work with someone who's actually awake, and he's, he's passed since then, he passed uh, a while ago, and it took me over a decade to try to be nervy enough to write this in a book. <laughs> Uh, but he actually, when you're with someone who's actually awake, it's almost as if consciousness is contagious. You know, it's, you, know you start to vibrate with them. They don't have to explain anything to you. It's not even about ideas. It's really about you just begin to align in- internally the way they are aligned internally. Uh, when I said consciousness is contagious, uh, Murphy would say, yes, and it can affect the whole planet, and it doesn't even have to go viral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very human. That's a, that's that's cute. I like that, and I, that's, I want to mention the book again. While we're talking about it, because it, the title of the book is "Lord Have Mercy: Waking Up in the Spiritual Marketplace." So you know, our discussion is in the context of that book. But um, you know, I was thinking, I that um, what he did, your friend of you know twenty thirty years ago, stealing from you, which obviously is something that's not that none of us would want to have, but it really had a positive, it was kind of a positive act in a way because it, it woke you up. Here you are asleep and it brought you to the different levels of consciousness which finally you became aware and awake. So that was a good thing or it ended up being a good thing. I mean, his act his, that initially was something that was like a real betrayal. Yes, and so that's why I'm really uh, uh, nervous about cherry-picking what I like and don't like about myself and then trying to change traits about myself, what I like or don't like about, you know, my experience, because you never know what, as you say, what that will lead to. Maybe that was the alarm clock that actually, I know it was, that alarm clock that sent me seeking, you know, that put me on the search, that say, I, this has got to be live a different way than this. I, don't, I want to understand how this can happen. I don't understand it. How can someone behave that way? And so, uh, you're, so anything, I think it's all unknown, uh, and everything can, can in a certain sense feed this interest in just becoming awake and present now, fully human, normal human being, uh, without sitting in meditation even, although that, of course, helps to be quiet, without 
you know, positive thinking all the time. Of course, that helps, but I want something that actually changes the level so that I'm not passing along unconscious suffering into the world. Obviously, my friend was suffering about something and very nervous about leaving and felt he had nothing, had to take things with him. So that was, I felt that to be an aggressive move, but maybe it wasn't aggression on his part. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't. I think he was just, you know, feeling so low and so needy, but I didn't understand that at the time. However, I understand that better now. And so you never know what's behind that. I just don't want to pass more aggression and suffering into the world because I'm taking in impressions in a reactive mode. I want to be present. So, you know, the buck stops here. I'm not going to pass along that, that nastiness to somebody else in, in the world. Uh, I, I, I need to. They said that, you know, you can in a certain way uh, digest your own suffering. Yeah, that's digest your own suffering. Well, you also say, because we only have like about a minute left, right. we wake up, uh, we want to wake up into this singing, exuberant world, and the first step is to laugh, which is what you do in Lord Have Murphy, because it's a very funny book. And um, if we want to, Lord Have Murphy, Waking Up in the Spiritual Marketplace, we can buy it at Amazon. Bookstores everywhere, but yes, um, it's also on my website, which has okay, your website. Yeah, yeah. What is the website that we can go to to learn, obviously, more about you and the book? Oh, sure, and the books that I there are books on there of my work with my teachers as well, my earlier books, also on attention. Anyway, it's franshawbooks.com. FranshawBooks.com. So it's on Amazon. It's on FranshawBooks.com, and uh, and I hope you. I hope everybody gets a chance to meet Murphy because he's just. Yeah, he cheers me up all the time when I when I read what he says. I may get him to blog on the website. Really, he's he's so fun. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, get get him up there blogging. If he cheers you up, we we want him to cheer up the rest of us because I think we do <laughs> need cheering. <laughs> We need, well, uh, as he puts it, in the stream or up the creek. You know, where are we at any moment? So, <laughs> uh, what I w- thank you so much. What I wish for everybody is to awaken, and I hope this book uh, laughs us into that direction. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning, Fran. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you, Catherine. Appreciate it. Fran Shaw, author of Lord Have Murphy, Waking Up in the Spiritual Marketplace. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, don't go away, and we'll be back in a minute. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is my second guest, Andrew Chate, author of Mequilibrium, 14 Days to Cooler, Calmer, and Happier. Dr. Chate is the founder and president of Phoenix Life Academy. He is a fellow at the Brookings Institute's Institution Center for Executive Education and a former professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Andrew. Thanks, Catherine. It's an honor. Thanks for the invitation. Okay, Mequilibrium, very clever name, and uh, small m, small e, capital Q, 14 days to cooler, calmer, and happier. You can't annihilate stress, you say, but you can learn to manage it peacefully, and you don't need to radically change your life to do so. 
how do we do that? It sounds great. Um, we, stress is always there. We know that, right? So it's a matter of how we how we manage our stress. I guess the first question, Andrew, is it seems to me there are so many books out there about how to manage stress. So why is your unique? How are we going to do this in 14 days? I mean, to me, it sounds almost impossible. And, and really, it is. Um, <laughs> okay. 14, days is a, 14 days is a start, and that, that will get you the base that you need for um, complete lifestyle change. Um, but just going back to what you were mentioning, you're right. Stress is everywhere, and the reality is that it's getting worse. Um, the World Health Organization has dubbed it the epidemic of the 21st century. We're seeing escalating rates. I see that in my native Australia, a paper was published yesterday saying that 90%, that's 90% of Australians are feeling stress. So it really is around the world, um, and it's increasing. And the reality is that given our lives, as you said, it's not possible to annihilate stress. And, and to be honest, anyone who says that they can eradicate your stress is selling, trying to sell snake oil. Um, but what we can do is try to manage how we, we respond to it. And I think what differentiates what we're saying, um, and you're right, there are a lot of products out there and the consumer needs to make a sensible choice, is that we believe that to have lifelong, lasting, foundational change, you need to understand how you think and how that thinking is causing you to respond in negative ways to stress um, and avoidable ways. All right, so we need to figure out how we think. This is what you're, this is the process that you're taking us through in the book. Um, obviously, most of us, given the statistics you just mentioned, are not doing a good job at it, whatever it is. And maybe we should name some of the stress factors that we, you know, that since stress, because stress is just a big general term. So why is our world more stressful? What are we reacting to? And how can we stop doing it in a negative way and kind of take on, um, me equilibrium, how to, you know, to do it in a way that's going to be, you know, calming to us and, and helpful to us and make us more productive. Yeah, you know, I think, I think that there are a lot of pressures placed on us these days. I think stress has always been around, by the way. I don't think it's, I don't think it's really a byproduct of the 20th or 21st century, but, but one of the ways that, that some of the ways that it's getting worse is that we are now constantly connected. There really is no, downtime and and so we're constantly connected to our devices and i'm one of the worst offenders here to be honest it really is a a case of physician heal thyself you know we, it used to be that we'd arrive at work at nine and we'd leave at five or six and we'd leave work behind and there was really no way that people could reach out to us but now they can so now our day is beginning at five in the morning and ending at midnight and we're not getting these downtimes that we need our sympathetic nervous system, our stress response is getting revved up chronically, and it was never designed to do that. It was designed to be revved up for a couple of minutes to deal with the stress and then to calm down, and that's not what's happening. So that's one of the reasons why I think we're seeing epidemic levels of stress. And you're right, we're really not very good at being able to deal with it. Some of the research shows that the practices that are most effective are the ones that we least employ. And the, and the procedures that are least effective, like um, eating, drrinking, alcohol, um, are the ones that we most deploy. So we're not naturally very good at working out how to manage our stress. And well, we I really, think, Andrew, really, I have to say that you absolutely, for me, you hit on it, because I had a day that is exactly as you described. 
I, w- I mean, my people texting, emailing, I'm trying to sit and have lunch with somebody, that business meeting. I mean, it was constant. I was so stressed out. And what I did was what you say we shouldn't. I came home. I couldn't wait to get home and have a martini. This is not the way to do it, right? So... No, that's right. And, you know, we, you and, and I and your listeners know about some of the things you've been able to achieve in your life. We know that you're a very credentialed psychologist. Um, we know that you've raised three boys. We know that you have an aging mom. Um, we know <laughs> that you have the kinds of stresses that the rest of us have as well. And these are really chronic players in our lives. And, and this sympathetic nervousness and the stress response was not designed to deal with it. So many, many times we're taking the easy way out. And again, that glass of wine at the end of the day is something that my wife and I look forward to. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a good way to, to calm yourself down. The problem comes when it's two or three or four. And we're just not very good at being able to understand how to deal with this stress. We're just not wired to deal with it. We tend to be more wired for the negative than the positive, and we're not finding good ways out. All right. And it's very easy as a culture to inch your way into the second drink and the third drink. And, uh, you know, as a social worker, I see that in, in working with people with addictions. I mean, that's a really easy thing to do. So we don't want to do that. Uh, so what do we do so that we don't do that? We don't overeat, which we are. You know, you mentioned overeating. Obesity is one of the biggest problems in our country. So what do we do? How, you know, you talk about resiliency, which I think um, obviously, to me, is one of the most important things, how resilient is one. But um, you have very specific ways in which we can handle the stress. Let's, we don't even have that much time left, so let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things we know is that there are 24 pieces to this stress puzzle. And when we first started to embark on this work in 2009, we came to the conclusion that in order to beat stress, we really needed to understand it. Now, we we believe that there are a number of factors that are involved in stress, but not all of these factors are created equal. And one of the most important is how we control our emotions. And, you know, we're getting epidemic levels of frustration and anger and anxiety out there in the workplace because of the nature of the modern workplace. And so what we say is one of the very first things you want to do is just to understand what emotion is getting in the way most for you. Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it anxiety? And we can provide you with a roadmap. If it's anger, we know that you're scanning your world for how your rights are being violated. If it's anxiety, we know that you are scanning your world for a future threat. Now, what we find is that for most people, they've developed this kind of radar, a way of scanning the world, and often their radar is blipping on imaginary things. So for me, I'm more of an anger guy than anything else, and I'm scanning for violation of my rights. Now, sometimes my rights are violated, but 90% of the time that I'm getting angry, it's because my thinking style, my radar is finding a violation that's really not there. So one of the Okay, so what makes you the people, angriest and then what do you do about it? Because if you're on that anger continuum, what is it? Like the, that how do you stop that? Cuz you feel like you're being violated or what do you yeah. do? Give us an example like really in an everyday kind of thing that happens to you. Yeah, you know, I would say I'm driving down the the highway heading to my office and someone cuts me off. And I find myself getting angry at a six, seven, eight on a scale of one to ten. And, you know, and I'll, and if I tap into my thinking, it really is that guy 
thinks he's more important than anybody else. He thinks his time is more valuable than mine. He's disrespecting me and my time and my work um, and everything that I've achieved. And of course, that kind of thinking is going to get me angry. And of course, that kind of thinking is very, very wrong. This guy doesn't know me from a piece of cheese. So for me to allow myself to go down that pathway is counterproductive. So we help people in the book identify which emotion is getting in the way most, alert them to the radar, and when they start to realize that their radar is pinging on these imaginary things, then they start to find that they're experiencing that stressful emotion less frequently. All right, so anger is yours. Let's take what are some of the other emotions that, that others respond to that, that kind of uh, hooks into their inappropriate way of responding to stress? Let's, let's, let's Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we found that there are seven big ones. So anger is one. Frustration is in epidemic proportions. And frustration comes about when you have thoughts that you don't have what you need to get a job done. So in, a, in, a, in an environment of do more with less, we're seeing big amounts of frustration, and sometimes that thinking is accurate and sometimes it's not. Another big one is anxiety, where people are scanning for when the shoe is going to drop and uh, when the axe is going to fall. And so they're constantly looking at future threats, and it's very, very debilitating to be in that anxiety state all the time. And often it's based on mistaken beliefs about future threat. We also see sadness, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. These are the kinds of the big seven that we see getting in the way for people most. And I getting think anxiety, most- you know, Andrew, I think anxiety is a huge one, or at least that's my experience with just with family, with friends, and, you know, even in a social work setting, we're always worried about what can happen, which may or may not happen, which we have no control over, but there's just so much stress related to kind of, it's in a way you're trying to, you know, you predict the future, and you have no idea, but yet you get anxious about things that have never happened. So what do we do? How do we handle that? Well, that's right. I mean, there's a great, a great quote from Mark Twain. There have been many catastrophes in my life, some of which actually happened. And we definitely see that a lot of people are making mountains out of molehills. And, and we also have to acknowledge that we're living in a world that facilitates that. So there are a lot of rumors of downsizings and staff cuts. This is a reality. Um, so for people to sit there and say, my job is not secure is, is probably accurate. But the problem is that there are some people who have developed this tendency to scan for future threat. And for them, their anxiety people, it's getting so much in the way of their enjoyment of life. So one of the things that we want to do is to help them to really work out the true probabilities of what they fear. You know, what we find is that people are not focusing their problem-solving energies on what's most likely to happen, that they're focusing their problem-solving energies on what they fear most. And that's not a good use of resources. We can help people recalibrate on that. And that just makes their lives a, a lot more enjoyable. They're not constantly worrying. It's, it's natural for a parent to think, you know, what's going to happen to my child? Is my child safe? Um, but for some people, their future threat radar takes that to the extreme and robs them of joy. All right, so what do we do in the 14 days? I mean, we've kind of identified some of the stressors and the way we react, which, you know, isn't healthy for us. So uh, what can we expect in a 14-day period, for instance, in terms of trying to restructure how we respond to stress? 
Right. Well, you know, at Mequilibrium, our company, Boston-based, we, we've put literally tens of thousands of people through our online program. So in doing so, we started to get a sense of what was really making the needles move in a productive way in people's lives. And so even though we offer 43 skills in that program, we were able to really titrate that down to a core set of skills that seems to be most useful for people. And the very first thing that we want to do is to get you calm on your emotions. So looking at these radars that are playing a role for you, and helping you bring them under control in the ways that we described it. And then secondly, you know, interestingly, and this was kind of a revelation for me because I'm a psychologist. I deal more with the mental thinking side of things than I do on the physical body side of things. But it's, it's, it's impossible, almost impossible um, to be able to manage your stress if you're not sleeping well. So getting people um, into good sleep habits um, is the very next step in the book. And sometimes this is just brute physical. Um, they're drinking caffeine just before bed or they're taking a mobile device to bed. Um, and, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's thinking. Sometimes it's people who say, well, the cure to my work-life imbalance is to sleep less. Or if I sleep less, I'll have more time with my kids or lack of sleep is a badge of honor. We see these kinds of things. I'm one of the ones who believes that, you know, if I cut back on my sleep, it's going to give me more time with my two kids. But I began to notice something, and that was that it was not quality time. So it's, at one point, I asked my nine-year-old daughter to plot how grumpy I was day in and day out. And she did on a three-point scale of not at all grumpy, a little bit grumpy, and very grumpy. And I, unbeknownst to her, monitored my sleep. And I found that on the days after a bad sleep, I was at my grumpiest. So I'm not really getting good time with them. So we want to help people um, deal with their with their sleep. And then we go into a whole bunch of different areas that seem to be important for stress management. You know, I just have to stop you there because I think that, that yeah. is number one, sleep is really important. I know you mentioned uh, my aging mother. This is someone who's 92 years old and very healthy. That's one thing that she always emphasized. You have to first start with getting enough sleep. But, you know, if you go to your doctor or your primary care physician, they really don't focus on that. They don't ask you necessarily how much sleep do you get. I mean, they may ask you if you're having a problem sleeping and you check the thing off when you're sitting there filling out the forms for the doctor, but they don't really focus on that. And I think, I mean, it's so critical and it seems so important. So just want to reemphasize the sleep thing because I think it really is important and I don't think we pay enough attention to it. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, Andrew, is number one. Absolutely. You know, you're right. Um, we, ha we have problems with sleep. We go to our primary care physician. We might be given um, a drug um, to help us sleep. But, you know, we understood how important sleep was in the whole stress picture. And fortunately, one of my co-authors on the book, Equilibrium, Adam Perlman, is an MD and is the director of Duke's Integrative Health Program. So he knows how all of these jigsaw puzzles go, pieces go together. And, you know, sometimes the best prescription for sleeping problems is not the most obvious. So, for example, he's found in his work in integrative health that sometimes when people are having difficulty thinking of sleeping, it's because they are 
feeling like their lives are very blah and meaningless. So often his prescription for lack of sleep, once he's ruled out all of the physiological possibilities, is to have them go and donate their time to a foundation or a charity. It's, it's a really interesting thing about this stress puzzle um, that sometimes um, feeling blah, having a, a lack of sense of meaning, mission, and purpose can be one of the reasons why we're not sleeping. And then if we're not sleeping well, nothing else is going to work for us. Yep. When I can't sleep, uh, my difficulty is one of the things that we described earlier, sort of anxious over what I think may or may not happen, which probably 90% of the time doesn't happen, but you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just anticipating that this could happen or that could happen. It hasn't happened, and uh, so it's a waste of time and energy, and it also creates a lot of stress. So that's just another piece of that when we're talking about sleep. Okay, what are some of the other pieces of the puzzle, like what, you know, in this... 14-day period to make us cooler, calmer, and happier. What do we need to be aware of? What do we need to do? Sleep is one critical. Yeah, sleep is really important. And then, you know, one of the reasons why we get stress is because we can't solve the problems in our lives. And one of the reasons why we can't solve those problems is because our thinking styles, these habits that we develop and how we think, get in the way. And we know there's a very important thinking style called why style, how we explain events that are happening to us, that often leads people to bog down on problem solving. So once we've got people calmer and control of their emotions and sleeping better, the next thing we want to do is say, okay, identify a problem that you've had a lot of difficulty solving over the weeks, months, or years. And let me, uh, let's ask you what you think is causing it. And then we help people get around the thinking style that's trapping them into certain causes and broaden their horizon into other possible causes, which offers other possible solutions. So we start to budge on that side as well. We okay. also know that... Give us a problem, Andrew. Our- Give us one of those problems that, that, that are presented to you that you would help somebody think about resolving or solving the problem in a different way. One it that- might be something, yeah, it might be something like, uh, I, you know, I keep having arguments with my in-laws, um, and I, and no matter what I try, it just doesn't seem to work. Or I've been trying to get that promotion at work forever, and I just haven't been able to break through. Or my son just I just have so many problems with my son's behavior, and I just have not been able to get through that wall. We want it to be really big problems because these are the kinds of things that are causing us stress. And what we want to do is to help people understand how they're thinking about that problem, how they've got into a habit of thinking that is limiting them in their problem solving, and help them break out of it in a very structured, step-by-step, join-the-dots kind of way. Well, does that involve, like, I think many of us do, you have a part, like, not getting along with your in-laws, for instance, good example, but you tend to, like, you try to get along with them, you try to rectify the problem, but you keep doing it in the same way all the time. We just get hooked, and it doesn't work, and we can't seem to get it in our heads that, okay, if I keep talking this way to my mother-in-law, she's going to talk back to me in a way that I don't like. Why do I? And, but you keep doing it anyway, and you, keep, and you can't really step outside the problem and figure out another way of, of looking at it through a different filter. Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about, Catherine. I think it was Albert Einstein who said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting yeah. a different outcome. And you know what? What traps us there are the causes. 
that we've come up with for why um, that, that interaction isn't going well. And if we keep seeing the same causes, then the same solutions will present themselves. Now, we know that there's a very famous thinking style uh, that's been researched across the world in thousands of research um, enterprises um, called explanatory style or why style that is really limiting us here. And we can help people identify what their why style is and give them very concrete steps to get around it. So they're looking at different causes of their problems from a different perspective, and that offers up different solutions. And once you start to get start to budge on these big problems, um, then you're really going to be helping people manage their stress. It, we only have two minutes left, so we and there's just lots more. Obviously, there's lots more in the book. Uh, so uh, and you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. Me Equilibrium: Fourteen Days to Cooler, Calmer, and Happier. Andrew Chate. But tell us, Andrew, like where else we can go online? I know that, that you've written a lot. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of information out there about you and your program. And by the way, this program works for. It sounds like for everybody, whether you're in, in business, corporate, college kids. Um, so, where, yeah, where can we find you on the net? Yeah, we're all vulnerable to these traps. So, really, it cuts across people and it cuts across cultures. We've been doing this work around the world. I think one really great stopping point is our program and our website, which is mequilibrium.com. Um, there, I think you're going to see, your listeners will see a whole bunch of, of information about what we do and opportunities for them, along with ways to, to find the, the book. Um, I do believe that both the program and the book are really great companions. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do to help a lot of people manage this epidemic of stress. And, and also, just to add to that, it works for children, so it's good to start young. You do have programs for children as well, as I, I understand it. That's right. And, Catherine, as a psychologist, you know that we're really laying down these thinking styles by the time we're 8, 9, 10, around that kind of vicinity. So we do a lot of work in schools with kids um, who are beginning to develop these limiting, stressful styles to help so that, so that they never develop them. And then with older people, we're helping them develop skills to get around the styles they've already developed. Okay. Dr. Andrew Chate, and he is founder and president of Phoenix Life Academy, Ph.D., um, and author of Me Equilibrium, 14 Days to Cooler, Calmer, and Happiness. Thank you so much, and happier. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Thanks, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 